Very familiar passage of Scripture. 2 Timothy chapter 3. I'll begin reading with verse number 14. Continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Heavenly Father, we ask that your blessing would be on our consideration of your word. Magnify your word. Magnify yourself, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Let's say that a man drove up and parked a brand new Lamborghini Urus automobile in your driveway. Then he walked up to your door, rang the doorbell, handed you the keys and some paperwork, and walked away. Walked away. Let's say that some extraordinarily rich person gave you a $250,000 luxury SUV. No strings attached. It is yours to do with as you please. What might you do with that? You might call a broker and, and sell it for half the price and walk away a wealthy person. That's one option. That's the first one on my list. Or you could hide it in your garage, lest some criminal-minded person might think that you are really rich yourself and that your house is full of antiques and gold coins and the odd, uh, very rare postage stamp. Or you could leave that car in your driveway as a status symbol and make all the neighborhood men just drool over this thing that you have parked there, if they never really know what it is. It looks like an SUV to me. You could fawn over it. You could polish it. You could build a carport over the top of it. You could dust it every day. Or you could drive the thing and pick up people and take them to church. You have several options here. A Lamborghini of any model or year would be an extraordinary gift. But that will never happen, will it? You say to yourself, you will never be given a really valuable gift. Is that so? Is that so? You need to understand that most of you have a wonderful, valuable gift resting in your laps this very evening. Besides the infinitely valuable eternal life that we have in Christ Jesus, the Lord has given to us his will has opened up his heart and said, here, take this, study it, it's for you. David said in Psalm 19 that God's word was more to be desired than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Verse number 10. And then the man who penned Psalm 119, which may have been David, just over and over again uh, praises the word of God. More, excuse me, uh, he said that the word of God was more to him than thousands of gold and silver. Verse 72. Later he said, therefore I love thy commandments above gold, above fine gold, 24 karat gold. 
He said, I rejoice at thy word as one that findeth great spoil. Verses 127 and 162. Elsewhere, the word of God implies that it itself, the word of God itself, is, is greater than the, the largest pearl that a person might be able to find if you're a lover of pearls. I say that the Bible is extremely valuable. Well then, from what does the Bible derive its great value? I suppose there would be several answers to that question, but I'm going to focus on just one tonight. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. And for that reason, it is extremely valuable and profitable for prophecy, for Prophecy and exhortation and uh, revelation. This prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God were, were moved by the Holy Spirit. They spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost to 2 Peter 1.21. Not only were God's chosen men, his handcrafted vessels, led by the Holy Spirit in what they spoke, the Holy Spirit actually inspired the words that they spoke and uh, wrote, whichever means the Lord was using at that time. Now, I know that no non-Christian is going to believe what I have just said, and many professing Christians don't either. But what I said is true. And yes, it does require faith to fully accept and understand and apply. A lack of faith is why unbelievers don't believe that the scriptures are given by the inspiration of God. Assuming that we have been given the inspired word, what should we do with it? Should we park it in the garage? Throw, it in the key, throw away the keys? Make the kids sit in it every day while we have family devotions? That's all it's good for? Should we polish it and dust it and keep the vultures from flying over it? Among all of the things that we could do with it, shouldn't we rather take it out and drive it? I'm speaking of the Word of God. I admit that this outline is perhaps centuries old, but I ran across it a year or so ago and I wrote it down in my little book and pulled it out the other day. If the Bible has been inspired by God's Spirit, we should study it to find out what the Lord wants us to know. He inspired it for a purpose. What's that purpose? God's Word is a revelation of the divine will. And in another sense, it is God's will and testament. If the Lord has gone to the trouble to reveal His heart then we should be scripture people. We should be Bible Christians. Like that quarter million dollar Lamborghini, there are bells and whistles throughout that machine, and we may not really know are there until we sit in it and drive it and get to know it after a few months of use. So Christ Jesus tells us, to search the scriptures. For in them you think you have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. The word of God is inspired by the Holy Spirit. Search it. Use it. 
Where else are we going to find the original testimonies of God? If not in His voice, if not in His own word, where shall we go? The writings of David Oldfield? Not only will the Bible fill our minds with essential eternal knowledge, it will fill our hearts as well. Illustrating everything else in the Word of God, the Lord wrote the two tablets of the law with His own finger. With His own finger He has given us the Word. Inspired by the Holy Spirit. And if you went to that trouble to give it to us, we should joyfully read it, study it, use it. In my collection of stuff... I have an envelope that was written to the future 27th President of the United States, William Howard Taft. I value that cover. It was written to him. If it had been written by him, it would be a lot more valuable than it is. In the Word of God, we have an autographed copy of God's memoirs. His instructions, his promises. Colossians 3.16 says, Let the word of God dwell in you richly. And we see examples of that in people in the word of God, here and there. For example, Paul uh, was filled with the word of God. Apollos, another. How long would it take us, all of us, to fully outline the life of Apollos. 90 seconds. I have a five-volume set called uh, International Standard Bible Encyclopedia. covers everything. Uh, it has one column on Apollos. Not very much. He is mentioned in seven scriptures. And some of those are as simple as Titus 3.13. Bring Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their journey diligently that nothing be wanting unto them. That doesn't tell us anything about Apollos except he wasn't where Paul was. We know very little about the man, but we do know this. He was mighty in the scripture because Acts 18.24 says so. If that was all that was said of me by the man who is writing my obituary... I just might sit up in the middle of that funeral service and smile. That man was filled with the scripture. Uh, it's probably not going to be said, but nevertheless. This was said of Apollos by the Spirit of God himself. Apollos was mighty in the scripture. It's the, the, the scriptures were given to us by God's inspiration. We should yearn to be mighty in this gift that he has given to us. In my research, I ran across a, a paragraph, which I'm going to paraphrase and add to just a little bit. It was spoken by a 17th century Puritan as he talked about the Bible. He put it this way, there's a melody in the scripture. This is that blessed harp which drives away sadness of spirit. I'll add, if you remember, King Saul would get depressed. 
He hired David to come and play music and sing for him, and it, it lifted his spirits. He employed David for a very short period of time. And just a few months later, he didn't even recognize the young man as he grew into a, a, a man. You and I can hold David in our hands as long as we want, along with a, a dozen or a few dozen other sweet singers in Israel. The Puritan went on. Hear the sound of this tune, 1 Timothy 1.15. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. He took not only our flesh upon him, but our sins. Is there anything more comforting than that? Learn that tune. Study those lyrics. Sing that song. And Matthew 9.28. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That man went on. How sweetly does this harp of Scripture sound? What heavenly music does it make in the ears of a distressed sinner, especially when the finger of God's Spirit touches the instrument? It is a rock of diamonds, a mystery of piety or spirituality. The lips of Scripture have grace poured into them. The Scripture speaks of faith, self-denial, all the graces which, as a chain of pearls, adorns a Christian. It excites to holiness, it treats of another world, it gives a prospect of eternity. For most people, music is a learned skill. It takes work, it takes study, it takes practice. Maybe we'll get a little bit of it figured out. But this Scripture, this music... Is available to everybody. And all we have to do is pick it up and the sound comes out. Yes. Paul says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. The scripture is profitable for all things. When we feel alone, there is comfort in the scripture. When we are pursued by Satan or other spiritual enemy, the word is the sword of the spirit. If the cancer of sin is eating us up, there is a cure in these words. But it cannot be the blessing it could be if we won't pick it up and read it, study it, make it our own. And remember to read the word of God with reverence. Because it is God's word, not yours, not man's. Do you remember the Ark of the Covenant from the history of Israel? Inside the Ark were several things, including a copy of the original commandments. No mortal man was permitted to touch the Ark. Or he'd die. He certainly wasn't supposed to be able to lift the lid off and look in to see what was there. It was holy. It was that holy that people died. The Word of God is not just a container of God's Word. It is God's Word. It is the whole ark, not just the law inside it. It should be held in more reverence than the Jews did the ark. And yet at the same time, 
We can pick it up and read it. Make it our own. God's word is represented in the lamps inside the tabernacle. Holy light with which to serve the Lord. But those lights had to be tended. There had to be oil added to them. They had to, the wicks had to be trimmed or the light would go out. Since the scriptures are inspired by God, we should treasure them. We should prize them. As I've already pointed out, David considered the word of God to be of more value than gold. It might be argued that as a king, David had plenty of gold, so gold wasn't that precious to him, so he just cast that aside. And Oh, the word of God is, is more than that. You and I don't have that wealth. We don't have those luxuries. But I would rather argue that since David knew and understood gold, his opinion about it, his understanding of its real intrinsic value should be considered. God's word is of more value than gold, silver, precious stones. It may be apocryphal, but I have read that when the first Queen Elizabeth was being inaugurated, part of the uh, coronation ceremony involved the gift of the word of God, a gift of the word of God. I have read that as she received it, she picked it up with both hands and put it over her heart and said, this book has been ever my chief delight. It was of value to her when she was struggling through the political chaos at that time. And then it was more valuable to her even as uh, uh, one of royalty. Don't know what's going on there. Hope it's not shorting out. And then there's Mother Eve. What did Eve sacrifice in order to eat the fruit of the tree of knowledge. She wanted knowledge. At least that was a part of it. Instead of fellowship with God, she chose sin. She paid for her knowledge with her own life, you could say. Maybe that wasn't her intent. That's what it was. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took the fruit thereof and did eat. Then gave it unto her husband with her and he did eat. Today, we freely possess what our first mother sinned to have. And she didn't have it. She died. Spiritual wisdom. What Adam and Eve infinitely lost, we have gained by God's grace. The inspired word of God, a gift that the Lord has given to us. Since the scriptures are inspired by God, we should believe what it says. Here is perhaps the middle hinge upon which this massive doctrinal door swings back and forth. Human beings are born atheists. Austin touched on this this morning. We do it all the time. There is none that seeketh after God. Just it's not in our nature. And that spiritual denial is expressed in several ways. 
It might be argued that we, that many disbelieve the Word of God before they disbelieve in God. Think about it. The only way for us to truly learn about the Lord is through what He has revealed to us. Studying the increase in uh, uh, the in the details of the universe, using science, a person can or should reach the conclusion there is a God. But no one can learn God by studying nature, by studying the universe. He has to reveal that. It has to come from him. And he does that with his inspired word. In the pages of the Bible, we learn about God's omnipotence. We can see that in creation. We learn about it in the Word of God. In God's Word, we're taught about His holiness. We can never see that in creation. We see good men shudder in fear when they stand before the Lord. And we read about God's grace and His love, all the way from Genesis chapter 3 to the end of Revelation. So why are there so many agnostics in the world? Why are there so many atheists in the world? Among the reasons is their lack of faith in what the Bible tells us about God. Through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the Word of God. We understand creation came from the hand of God by faith. Hebrews chapter 11, verse number 12. And by faith, we know that by faith, Noah prepared an ark to the saving of his house. In the same way, we need, we must believe what the Holy Spirit inspired God's men to write about the Holy Spirit, about Christ the Son, about God. The Lord's instructions in Luke chapter 16, there are quite a few of them. But down toward the end of that chapter, he speaks about two men, a rich man and a poor man. They both died. They both died. Jesus describes the rich man's conversation with Abraham as the torments of hell uh, devour him. The rich man said, I pray thee therefore, Father Abraham, that thou wouldest send Lazarus to my father's house. For I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest they should come to this place of torment. And Abraham saith unto him, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And this dead man said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. Would the brothers of this man have repented if Lazarus had arisen from the grave and preached the gospel to them? They would not. We've all seen pictures of Abraham Lincoln and George Washington. If you need a picture, I've got some posted stamps that can show you what he looked like. Either one of these guys. I think I'd recognize either one of them if they walked into the building this evening. But since they both died years ago, I would be really skeptical that that's really George Washington. 
just because the guy's got long curly hair, that doesn't mean anything. And long skinny face with a beard, I've seen those elsewhere. Uh, that doesn't mean that's Lincoln. That doesn't mean that's George Washington. And I believe in God's ability to raise the dead. But I still have a hard time if someone came in and said, I just came out of the grave and I'm here to tell you a message from God. I'd have a problem with that. And as Abraham said, for the average person, if they hear not Moses and the prophets, that is, if they will not hear the inspired word of God, they're not going to listen. Neither will they be persuaded though one rose from the dead. We have a more sure word of prophecy, a more sure word of exhortation and instruction than anything that someone coming out of a human grave could share with us. We have the living word of God. We have the inspired word of God. Believe it. Since the scriptures are inspired by God, we should love them. They're inspired by God. The psalmist should have been speaking to all of us when he said in 119.97, Oh, how love I thy law. What do you do with the things that you love? How do you treat your family, for example? Don't you enjoy spending time with them? Don't you set them on a pedestal whenever possible? Don't you pull out pictures when their names are mentioned? In speaking of God's word, that same psalmist said, I will meditate in thy statutes which I love. Don't you remember when you first fell in love with that special person in your life? Weren't there days when you couldn't concentrate because all you could do is think about her? He, she was constantly on your mind. You wrote notes, I wrote letters. You couldn't keep quiet about her. Everyone knew who your love was. And again the psalmist said, I love thy commandments above gold, yea, than above fine gold. Perhaps there are even places and days and situations which are special to you because they connect you to that special person of yours. For us, we shouldn't stop with a love for the word of God, which is not a bad thing in itself, but our love for the word should increase our love for God, and our love for God just reciprocates and increases our love for the word. It just should go around and around and around. Since the scriptures are inspired of God, we should conform our lives to what it says. It's the inspired word of God. With that divine inspiration comes divine authority. You may love the United States of America for its freedoms, for its heritage, its physical beauty. You may say that its form of government with its checks and balances is the best there is in the world. There are some who make a statement like that and yet they would like to see it destroyed and rebuilt. They say they love America, but they don't follow the rules of America. And some of them don't enjoy the privileges of America either, like voting. 
If you as a Christian claim to believe that the Holy Spirit inspired every word of God, then logically you should pattern your life after the rules, after what it says. Obedience is perhaps the best way to say, oh, how I love thy law. How are we better for having God's word if it doesn't do anything for our lives? Since the scriptures are inspired by God, we should contend for them. I realize I'm condensing some of these points. I'm not saying that we should be contentious people, but we should be willing to defend it. If that's the right word to use, defend it. Was it Spurgeon who said, you don't need to defend a lion. You just release it. Let it defend itself. I don't know if it was Spurgeon. But he was suggesting the only thing that we need to do is to use it. Contending for the faith or contending for the inspired word of God means first and foremost sharing it. Testifying of it. uh, Preaching it. Since the scriptures are inspired by God, we should be increasingly, unceasingly thankful. The Lord was under no obligation to reveal anything about himself to us. And when our first parents chose to rebel against him, he had even less reason to reason with us. What a mercy it is that Jehovah has not only revealed himself and his will, he's actually taught us his will. The Holy Spirit takes that word that he has inspired and he is the one who helps us to understand what it is, causes us to understand what it is. Then, there were times when the Lord spoke through visions rather than words. There were times when the Lord spoke it other ways. There was an occasion when Peter, James, and John were there at the transfiguration of the Lord Jesus. You remember that? It was a special revelation. They learned things there that they'd never learn any other place. But later, as Peter looked back on that day, comparing it to the ministry that he'd had since then, he said, We have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We were eyewitnesses of his majesty. We were there. We saw it all. We heard the voice which came from heaven. But we have a more sure word of prophecy than that. Whereunto ye do well that ye take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place, until the day dawn and the day star rise in your hearts. Knowing knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Satan has published his delusions in many forms, and he's still cranking them out in books and so on and so forth. But for the modern Children of God, there is only one essential message. Don't get confused by what's going on out there. His word. Be thankful to God for his promise to keep it for us. Hand it to us. 
And that leads logically to one more point. We should adore and worship the Lord for the gracious gift of his inspired word. If you have ever felt the hand of the Lord on your heart, it was weighed down with the word of God. And if when that word has done its perfect work and you were humbled before the Lord, you should have been filled with praise at what the Lord did through his word. The psalmist said, Thy word hath quickened me, made me alive. And James said, Do not err, beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Usually we stop there. Of his own will begat he us with the word of truth. I don't believe that anyone has ever been saved apart from the Holy Spirit's ministry of the word in his life. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise God for his inspired word. Amen. Please stand.